Well, uh, fortunately, we have a short passage today. So, see, it all worked out. Not a worry. Uh, we are continuing in the life of Jesus and early on in his ministry still. And we've seen uh, him declare the kingdom and then establish what this kingdom is about. Him actually undoing all the things that have been done to declare this new kingdom. We've, we've seen him cast out demons in a synagogue. We saw him heal on the Sabbath and saw him reclaim a leper, someone who has been outcast and brought back in and healed as well. And then uh, we left off last, last week with him healing the, the, the lame man and restoring him not just in health but also spiritually, having his sins forgiven. And we saw for the first time in Luke's gospel anyway, um, the, the conflict starting to rise because there were Pharisees and teachers of the law who saw this and heard Jesus declare forgiveness of sins and accused him of blasphemy. So now we're starting to see the tension build and we're going to see Pharisees again in our lesson this morning. We're going to, Pharisees now and the teachers of the law are now interested in what this Jesus guy is doing. Other people are coming to him because He's fun to be around, and he helps, and, and he heals people, and he declares new life, and all of these great things. And remember, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and the teachers of the law who are part of the sect of the Pharisees, they're more about, uh, in, our, in our day and age, let's put it this way, they're more about quarantine. They're more about uh, you know, staying away from all these sinners. They're more about living a life that you know, and trying to meticulously keep the law to bring about the kingdom. Their program is very different from what Jesus is declaring. And because it's so different, and they're quarantining, and he's going out, and because of what he's declaring, there's tension building. Well, now we're going to see what happens. It's one thing maybe to heal a leper and, you know, a lame man, but what about, I mean, real sinners? I mean, what about people like tax collectors? Um, I don't know if y'all know, but my wife's uh, father was worked for the IRS until his retirement. So, what about those guys? <laughs> no. um, now we're going to see him break that barrier and reclaim that kind of person. Uh, and the Pharisees are going to have quite a bit to say about it. You can see the outline for today. Uh, number one, it's kind of from the Pharisees' perspective, isn't it? Uh, we see the wrong. He's, Jesus hanging out with the wrong kind of people. And then number two... Uh, he and his disciples are uh, doing the wrong kind of practices. So that's where we're going this morning. So with that introduction, on the heels of uh, having uh, healed and restored this, this lame man and having been accused of, of uh, blasphemy, we now see the call of Matthew, or in this, this particular gospel, called Levi. So I'm going to move over here so you can read. Yeah, through verse 32. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? 
Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come, not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Excellent. Awesome. Almost doesn't need much, much comment, but that's why I'm here. So I'm going to. Uh, you, we, first of all, we, we hear that uh, Jesus spots this guy, Levi, and we learn that his name is Matthew from Matthew's Gospel. In Mark, this episode in Mark and in Luke, he's called Levi. But then later, when we look at the list of the disciples, Matthew is listed, not Levi. And then Matthew identifies himself as Matthew. So know that he had two names. Some speculate maybe he was a Levite from the tribe. And that would have made this doubly despicable. Why despicable? Not just because he's a tax collector. But tax collectors, of course, worked for uh, the dreaded enemy. Rome, of course, is in charge. And Rome has charged... Uh, the local leadership, in this case, in this, realm, in this particular uh, part of the world, it's Herod Antipas who took over this part after his father died. And those taxes are collected for the administration of this province through Rome. So uh, these tax collectors are, are hired guns to, to, to collect the tolls and the tariffs on behalf of the king who is working on behalf of the Romans. So not only are they, you know, despised because they're seen to be working for the enemy, they're also, of course, lining their own pockets. That's how they made their money. They would, they would accept, they would take more than what was required of them. And, of course, Herod would take more than what was required of Rome, so it was a double dip. So he's, he's despised in that way. Uh, and, he's, and he's out with, you know, unclean people as, as, as well. So tax collectors were, were doubly despised. But, you know, I never really thought of it, but he's probably also a figure of pathos as well. Imagine in your job uh, just being despised all the time. You know, we, we usually think of it as of, of them having sort of a gleeful little <laughs> about getting all the money. And there's probably some of that, but there's also the, the actual reality of everybody with whom you come in contact just not liking you, not hearing a good thing ever about yourself or about what you're doing. Uh, I mean, to be honest, he is just doing his job. Now, it's a job that, of course, people thought no one should do, but um, there's that, too. I think we forget sometimes that these guys probably went through a lot of, uh, you know, ostracism, and that's got to wear on you, right? Which accounts for, perhaps, why suddenly here's this guy coming to, traveling by his tax booth, probably to collect a, a toll, moving from one province to the other, or a tariff on goods, those kinds of things, who doesn't sneer at him or look at him like he's, an out, you know, like, like he's a pariah of some kind, but actually there's more to it. He looks at him with compassion and with love and with, with, with greeting. And Matthew, of course, would have known about this guy, you know, the, this guy Jesus. There would have been some, some trickle down of what all he's been doing. And rather than shun him, he looks at him and says, won't you come follow me? That might account for why Matthew suddenly, look at that response. I mean, he dropped everything. The implication is he's leaving this, this business, leaves, leaves his toll booth, the whole thing, to follow Jesus. Um, I wonder 
if we're that attractive? Or are we the same kind of people who will sneer and jibe and, and do the same thing other people do to those who are considered the undesirables in our community? Or are we the ones who maybe give a kind look and uh, a, a loving touch to say, hey, why don't you come listen to this? Come. Well, Jesus has that. And Matthew reacts and responds like all of us when Jesus says, follow me, we should drop everything and follow. Now, he's already done this to a few fishermen, right? So he's done this to a few fishermen, and now he's got a tax collector. You can imagine what the Pharisees are doing. This is this guy's following? You know, the, the, this is who he's calling? Well, Matthew, uh, Levi, doesn't just sort of you know, skulk away. He goes with banners flying, man. And those banners he sets up outside his home for a banquet, for a party. Uh, and he invites his fellow tax collectors and other sinners, we hear. Um, for the Pharisees, those would have been people who would not or could not follow all the, all the law. The sinners. Uh, and Pharisees, of course, had nothing to do with the sinners. They wouldn't go into their homes because of the possibility of contamination, of being unclean. Maybe that food hasn't been tithed on. Whatever it might be, they did not go with what's called the people of the earth. That was the, in their own you know, guidebooks, if you want to hear it. It's the people of the earth, the common people. They wouldn't have done this, especially tax collectors. Well, there's this party that Levi has invited all of his friends to. Why would he do that? Well, it's a celebration and for them to meet Jesus. I mean, he's right away. Not just as he reclaimed, he wants others reclaimed. This guy has the words of life. So they're at this party, uh, and that's what it is. You know, it's a, well, no, it was a banquet. Well, yeah, it's a party. So they're all celebrating. And when you eat with someone, table fellowship, that demonstrates an alliance as well, not just in their presence, but you're partaking of their food. There's this alliance. So right away, welcome. Now, the Pharisees, you were thinking, now, why would the Pharisees notice? Are they at the party? Of course not. They're not the ones at the party. They're probably outside and know what's going on. It could be after the party's over when the disciples are coming, the disciples of Jesus so far are coming out, that they question the disciples. And their questions have to do with how this goes directly opposite of how they think this should work. Remember, quarantine versus going out. And this goes directly in the face of that. And so they ask, why do you eat and drink with tax gatherers, sinners? Why are you partying with these people? Why are you even with them? Jesus, however, answers them, not the disciples. Jesus himself answers. And, it's, and he, he probably quotes a, a, a proverb that was already around. Um, but it just it makes so much sense. He goes, look, I'm the physician. Those who are, are well don't need a physician, but those who are sick. And then he parlays that into why he's doing what he's doing. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, when he says the righteous, it's not as if the Pharisees don't need to repent, too. It's that they considered themselves the righteous, everyone else the sinners. Probably a little bit of sarcasm going on here. I haven't called, come to call well, the righteous, but the sinners. It's the people who are sick that need the doctor. Now, if you were a sinner and decided to repent, you could find some Pharisees who would let, 
who would allow you to come into their presence after some ritual. But here we have a guy going to them. He's making house calls. Remember those? I can sort of remember those uh, from long ago when I was little. Uh, but that's, all, that's what he's doing. He's going where the sick people are. Um, you know, that's right now in the COVID thing, and, you know, we're, we're looking at all of our health care providers and those as, you know, people, you know they've been elevated to the status of heroic and heroes, and rightly so. They're with the sick people. They're going to them. Um, and Jesus says, I've come. That's why I've come. To bring these people to repentance. Not to leave them where they are. This is not one of those where Jesus loves me like I am, and I can just stay the way I am. And Jesus is all about love. Yes, he is all about love. But love that leads to making you better. Real love. And making us better means repentance. A changed life. Notice he's calling them to repentance. So he's hanging out with the wrong kind of people. And the Pharisees want to know, why are you doing that? He goes, well, that's why I came. You know, these people aren't beyond the kingdom. This is why the kingdom has come. I'm breaking down those barriers. So, very powerful episode that leads then to him discussing uh, another question they bring up. Because not only is he hanging out with the wrong people, it looks like his disciples and he are going from party to party. Looks like they're eating and drinking a lot. They're too cheerful. Okay, you got the grumbling Pharisees. And Jesus and his followers, who all seem to be rather cheerful and happy and joyful. That just can't happen. Um, and that's kind of what's going on. So they have a question. And someone read that aloud for us from verses 33 through 39. I'll read it. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? By the time will come when, but the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it on an old one. If he does, he will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for he says the old is better. Thank you. Again, probably rather familiar to, to all of us, but it starts off, we need to know what the question is that leads to uh, Jesus' proclamation here. And that is that uh, the Pharisees and, and you know, they, people ask, okay, I look at John and his disciples. They practice fasting. And people who are trying to follow along with the Pharisees and their, 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 their ilk, they practice fasting. You guys don't seem to fast. You guys seem to be eating and drinking a lot. <laughs> I love that. Um, well, let's talk about it for a second. 
It's not that fasting in and of itself is wrong. In the Sermon on the Mount, of course, Jesus says, when you fast, it's not, don't, it's, it's, it's assuming when you fast, you're going to be doing certain things. Um, it's just that fasting at this point has been taken to a meritorious act, something as a show, uh, especially by the Pharisees. They would, pra- they, they would fast Mondays and Thursdays. Y'all do that. Tomorrow, fast. Thursday, fast. Now, there, people did fast in Israel on the Day of Atonement, and there were other occasions where they would be remembering past calamities that have happened to Israel, and in mourning they would fast. The thing is that the, the fasting pointed to mourning and what had not yet come, looking forward to when the kingdom is established, when the Messiah would come. We're going we're to mourn and fast until that. And, of course, what they don't realize is that kingdom has come. It's breaking in with Jesus here and now. It's not the time to fast. So that's the, the ilk of what's going on here. So they say, well, why aren't you guys doing it? And Jesus replies, well, you can't make the attendance uh, of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom was with them, can you? In other words, look, if the wedding is still going on and the feast is still happening, the bridegroom is there, you don't call for a funeral all of a sudden. You don't start fasting. It's time to feast. And, of course, the implication is that he is the bridegroom. And there's a lot of stuff going on here with, with this image. It harkens, of course, to the future, uh, you know, the, the future eschaton, the, the, the bridal feast of the Lamb, the church, it's the bride of Christ, Israel in the past being wooed as the bride, that God coming to take his bride all of this is, is sort of resonant in this. And of course, if that's the case, and he's the bridegroom, and it's God who woos Israel, there's even the implication that, whoa, this is new. Who is this guy? Yeah, this is not going to fit into those old wineskins. It's really going to blow up. This is a lot of new stuff for them to take in, because this is not what they expected. Because you don't, you don't fast when the bridegroom is here. It's time to feast. Now, he does say, now there will be a time when the bridegroom's taken away. They'll fast then. And this is one of the first indications of Jesus revealing little by little what's yet to happen. The crucifixion, when he's taken away from them from the time of his arrest to his resurrection and then from the time of his ascension to the coming of the Holy Spirit. There was fasting because of mourning and anticipation. There will be times of fasting to come, but right now, right now is the time to celebrate. So, he says, in order to help them understand a little bit further, Luke says he told them a parable. Now, we're thinking a parable is a story, right? Parabole in the Greek, uh, it means to, um, by the way, it was how I, one of the words I learned in Greek, when, when I learned the word for uh, throw, it's Ballo, so you throw a ball, right? So, ballo, that's how I kind of got it in my head. Para, alongside. So you're throwing alongside. There's a story that has something alongside. It teaches something. You're throwing alongside this thing. But for Luke and others, it's not just a story. It can be an illustration of any kind. It can sometimes be proverbs. It's just a broad term for these things. So it's not a story per se. It's a, it's a couple of illustrations. And the illustrations include one putting a a new patch on an old garment, and two, putting new wine in an old wineskin. And the implication in both is that it won't work. 
It doesn't fit. Remember, uh, the, the Pharisees are thinking, how does this fit with what they were anticipating of how God's kingdom would come? And what, who is this? It just doesn't seem to fit with what they're thinking. And Jesus is telling them, basically, you're right. It doesn't fit. And you can't make it fit. Your expectations have been wrong or not complete because God is doing a new thing. And this new thing is going to blow away those old expectations. You just can't patch it. You can't just put it in with the old because this is something new. And you're going to have to get used to this. This is how God is going to work now. And this is what he's always intended. It's not like this is something new. God had called Israel to go out and be Israel to the other people. And what had happened is they had quarantined themselves, and the ultimate poster child for that was the Pharisees. This is ours. And we, for the motive of being pure and holy and trying to have God work through Israel, they thought the best thing to do would be to retreat and take it all back. But what's happened now is the king has come. And the king of Israel is showing them how to be Israel. No, it's go out. So while it's new, it's, not, it's like it's not what was intended. There have been so much accretion of other things over the centuries that what they thought and expected was not how God intended Israel to be, to be his people. So now we see it blowing apart the old garment or rupturing the old wineskin. But look at how, you would think, though, at this point, he would say, and of course you want the new, right? That's what you want. After he's given these illustrations, and of course everyone's going to want the new, the new wine, in the new wineskin. You're going to want that. But notice how he ends. No one, after drinking old wine, wishes for the new. Old's good enough. There's a recognition that there's going to be continued conflict. These people aren't going to just say, oh, yeah, cool, that's it. This is going to continue because they're not going to accept the new. Old, good enough. Now, this is not a proof text for programmatic changes in churches, okay? Well, we've already done that before, and you, we just need to be new, and you won't accept it, and that's not what's going on here. He's not talking about church services. Although there's some application, we need to be wise as followers of Christ to know when to change, right? What needs to change, and don't get stuck in something just because we've always done it that way before. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. We don't want to use this as a proof text for things like revolution for revolution's sake. He's specifically combating the wrong notions the Pharisees have about how this is supposed to work. And it comes to a point just because they're wondering why he's not doing the fasting thing and why he's partying. So that's the, the, the point here. Don't run, don't run with it too far is what I'm trying to say. So wrong kind of people, wrong kind of practices. You had both going on here from the Pharisees' point of view 
And Jesus lets them know why this is happening. Now that's the Cliff Notes version. There you go. Blazed through that. Questions or comments? Yes, ma'am. This isn't a deep theological question. It is just a, a question of curiosity on my part. In Mark, he refers to Levi as the son of Alphaeus. And Luke, in his list of the apostles, um, of the disciples, I mean, uh, lists James, son of Alphaeus. Do you think they may have been brothers? Most scholars think probably not, because usually the gospel writers will bring up the fact that they're brothers. Because we have other brothers that it's very clear we're told they're brothers. Most likely it's just, Alpheus was a common name, most likely another Alpheus. That's what I read anyway. Yeah. Awesome. Make sure there's no little tidbit that I left out here. I think we're okay. All right, let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for this reminder uh, for us. Uh, more than anything, I guess we don't want to be associated with the grumbling Pharisees, but maybe with the joyful, forgiven sinners. I uh, pray that that's a mark of who we are. Uh, as we go about our lives, that we too would be attractive to the world, uh, not seen as quarantining, uh, keeping ourselves free of the stain of all those miserable sinners out there. Remind us, we are miserable sinners who have been called from our booth, and we're to be the ones who are doing the partying and letting people see that this forgiveness is real and that this joy is real and that the new wine has burst the old wineskins and that we're not some, some that go back to our, the old ways. Our prayer is that uh, that is evident to those around us and that we have the right words to say when they, they ask about our joy. Uh, give us wise eyes to know when those opportunities come before us. We pray this in the name of Jesus our King. Amen. Goodbye, podcast people. <laughs>